organizations need to treat gender equity in the same way that they do any other business priority. Our research confirmed that it's not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. When we have more women in leadership roles, when companies take this more seriously, they see better performance. The other way to say it is that if you're not paying attention to it, you're leaving money on the table. And honestly, the boards of directors should not tolerate that. Make it a business priority like you would for any others. Hi, and welcome back to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we are the co-founders of Chief, the most powerful community of senior executive women. On this podcast, we challenge preconceived notions of leadership and how underrepresented communities, particularly women and women of color, are specifically impacted. This week on the podcast, we're asking a question that Chief is deeply invested in. When will we actually reach gender parity for C-suite leaders? I would say as the co-founders of Chief, this is a question that we think about a lot. This is the question that keeps me up at night especially how we at Chief are going to help solve for it. It is why we founded Chief to begin with, because Mm -hmm. we personally were feeling the impact and strain of being the only women in the executive room. And what Chief provides is really the connection and support for women executives, but the system itself also needs to change, which is why we partnered with IBM's think tank, the Institute for Business Value, on their third study assessing the state of women in leadership today. This research included a global survey of more than 2,500 organizations, along with the qualitative insights from our chief members. And the big takeaway is our perceptions and reality do not match up. The survey respondents think that we'll reach gender parity within the next 10 years, which we know is a far cry from reality. Let's be honest, that would be amazing. But the reality is that the gap is enormous and progress is slow. Only 10% of CEOs at Fortune 500 companies identify as women. And the World Economic Forum found that we won't see global gender parity for another 131 years. And our study finds that we may actually never get to equal representation at the top due to the leaky pipeline. Mm. If you look across the pipeline to C-suite, the percentage of women in roles from senior manager all the way to VP has really hollowed out and gotten even worse since the pandemic. And we dug into some gender biases that exist today that may point to why. I talked to Salima Lin, IBM Consulting's Vice President and Senior Partner of Strategy, Transformation, and Thought Leadership. She is a chief member and a fellow author of our study. We dive deep into some of the findings of that study, the perception paradox, and we also ask the big question, what will it truly take to get more women into the C-suite? Thank you for making the time and doing this. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the partnership just that we have had in this study. So I was really excited to spend some time together. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to see a face to the famous name, Caroline. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
So today we are joined by Salima Lin, who is the VP and Senior Partner of Strategy, Transformation, and Thought Leadership at IBM Consulting. And you're a co-author of the IBM and Chief Women in Leadership Report that we released earlier this year. And we are so excited to have you on for us to be able to talk about some of that research and some of the findings. So thank you for joining us, Salima. Thank you for having me here. And also just thanks for having me here to talk about this Women in Leadership study. I love talking about it, Carolyn. I think it's so important. (laughs) And it's been great to collaborate with you and Lindsay as co-authors on this study. So let's dive right in, right? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. First of all, I just have to say I'm extremely jealous of your title. (sighs) I wish that my title had the head of thought leadership anywhere. (laughs) It's like an awesome, awesome title to have. (laughs) It's a mouthful. It's funny because I've looked at it periodically thinking, is it too long? And I'll tell you, some of my female colleagues will say, no, it isn't. You should be bold. Have it out there. So there it goes. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. Let's dive into this survey a little bit. And we're definitely going to dive into some of the biggest learnings. But I first just kind of wanted to set the stage of why we did this study. Like, what was the big question that we were trying to answer with the study and just give a little bit of background on the study's design. Absolutely. This is done by the Institute for Business Value, which is really our thought leadership think tank within IBM. And we do this report every two years really to explore the gender gaps that exist and what do we need to do to ignite real change. 2023 was the third one we did, which we did together with Chief, which has been fantastic. We did a quantitative survey of about 2,500 men and women across nine countries. Three of them were high parity nations, three medium parity, three low parity. And those categories are determined by the World Economic Forum. The respondents were from 10 industries across leadership roles and levels. And we did a lot of one-on-one interviews as well with men and women, and then, of course, explore some of the insights in the chief core group sessions as well. Yeah. One of my favorite questions from the study was when we asked participants to rank the top qualities that they looked for in men versus women leaders. And the results were really different. I'm curious what your reaction to this question and the results were that we saw, and why do you think men and women are being asked to have such different capabilities to be successful leaders. This was one of the most fascinating findings of the entire study. So the survey asked respondents what characteristics they thought women and men should have to be considered for promotion to a leadership role. So we gave them a set of 11 characteristics and we asked them to rank order them in terms of importance for men and women. It was the exact same list. Mm -hmm. They could have answered it the exact same way, but they didn't. They told us that men needed to be innovative, creative, analytics, and results-oriented, and ethical. And interestingly enough, all of these qualities fell to the bottom of the list for women. Mm -hmm. And they said that women needed to be strategic, visionary, good communicators, which incidentally was dead last. (laughs) on the list for men, okay? So (laughs) essentially, they were saying women needed to excel in soft skills, Mm. which you and I know aren't soft at all. They're really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And so those were the results. Fascinating that 
they're different given a role is a role and should be independent of a woman or a man in that role. But we did have some discussions with the women from client companies. And some of the speculation around this was that these harmful stereotypes persist because the recruiting and the retention practices for men and women are very different Mm. and that we haven't really formalized leadership training programs around interpersonal skills in the same way that we've done for other types of skills. And so I'd ask your listeners to think about the types of training programs they have in their organizations. And I would bet that they have mandatory training around maybe ethics, maybe financial accountability, maybe even how to improve innovation. But when is the last time there was a required course around being a good communicator Mm. or being a visionary leader? There's probably haven't, right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's a choice type thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a perfect way of categorizing it, but for men, it felt like they just had to do a good job themselves where women needed to unlock the potential of everybody else in addition to doing the good job herself. It felt like there was just a greater onus in some of these qualities that people were checking of needing to not just set the vision and be able to operate with integrity like a man is being asked to, but actually then unblock everybody else to be able to do a good job as well. I thought it was a fascinating conclusion. I had a lot of other adjectives I used when I saw that conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we really address this gender bias as individuals? And what can we as corporate leaders do to address it systematically through policy or practice or other ways? Like we know it exists. You know, I always love to have a suggestion to go with a problem. So, you know, I think the best of intentions can be overcome by inertia, right? So a lot of companies do want to advocate for women, and they want to support their advancement, it's good for business. But without intentional actions that embed gender equity standards, practices, outcomes into the core of an organization's culture so that as managers, it's just how we operate. It's not a checklist or a to-do thing. Mm -hmm. Unless we get to that point, we're going to lose any momentum we've built. And so you asked about what can we do systematically? And I love that word because we do need to be systematic here. The report gives several suggestions, recommendations. I'll just maybe anchor, Carolyn, on a few that I felt particularly interesting and that have come up in conversations that I've had since then. So the very first one is organization leaders really need to design roles that work for top talent. And that was one of the key actions that came out of the study. So take a look at the roles that you have at the top. See how they're structured. Look at the requirements that have been embedded over time and the historical pay gap that continues to persist. These roles need to be designed for all talent and not just for men with traditional degrees. There was a conversation, Carolyn, in one of the um, core group sessions where we were exploring this. And one of the women leaders said that she had heard increasingly from her team the junior women whispering, and they were whispering. Okay, that's an important point because they didn't want any backlash from this or repercussions. But they said that they were looking at the top and they really didn't want to progress 
Mm-hmm. into some of the senior leadership roles because they looked there and they didn't like what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be at that table. They wanted to be at a different table, one that was more aligned to the way they were living their lives. And this gets back to roles, right? The roles mm-hmm. need to be designed for top talent and not just for men. And so I think really looking at the roles and designing them accordingly is a huge systematic step forward. When you say that, I think about just even like remote work as a topic and how much the force of people needing to be in the office and it targets and ostracizes women, people of color most who don't find that to be like their best way of showing up in a workplace. And how much of it is that of actual conditions of the role versus skill sets of the role when you say like really looking at the role definitions? Yeah, I think it's the former. I mean, it's probably both. And we didn't get into mathematically, you know, how much different levers affected it. But I really do think it's the former, right? Because Mm. the skills are really critical and we need to make sure the skills represent everyone. But as I mentioned, those 11 characteristics, everyone resonated with them. It's just that they rank Mm -hmm. order them differently from men and women. And that's, again, some of the stereotypes that exist. But it's all the other things. It's the work-life balance. It's do you show up at work? It's do Mm -hmm. I have good care facilities that I can take my kids into? It's can I take a break between six and nine (laughs) to care Mm -hmm. for my kids? Because most of that comes on to me versus my spouse. It's all of that. And Mm -hmm. not seeing it is a shame because the skill sets are very there for women. Mm -hmm. But it's all Mm -hmm. the other things that are preventing it. And that's why looking at the roles are so important. There's another finding that hit true to my heart, probably because I am a strategy leader. And it said that strategy is good, but you've got to give your strategy teeth, right? You got to make it real. And so set representation goals and hold your leaders accountable to those goals and back those goals up with actions. Look at women and their advancement as an important business priority like they would for any other business priority that exists. It's the classic measure what matters and it will actually matter. So for sure, setting a lot of those goals is incredibly important. I think what's funny though is I so often hear people say, you know, our goal is to be this or that, but they don't actually have strategies of how they're going to move any of those numbers, even if they officially do have goals. It definitely has to be a marriage of the two. It does. It does. And it's interesting when you tied it to business results there, because we frame the dialogue around women's advancements in the language of business results, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the key findings that we saw in the report is that organizations who take the advancement of women very seriously, they take intentional actions to improve it, they perform better. Mm-hmm. Their performance, they've grown 19% better in terms of revenue growth than others. And so this is a compelling argument for any business leader mm-hmm. to take into account, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think is great progress even over the last you know five to 10 years has been that people recognize the business value of diversity. I think that has like, finally been something that people really understand and recognize just the power of what that can do for you as a business and having that diversity in your leadership. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have solved how to do it, but I do think that there's at least more recognition that I have seen of people knowing that business outcome that is 
very valuable. It's not just doing this because it's the right thing to do, but it's also the right thing to do from a business perspective. It's a smart thing to do. Yes. Right? It's a smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So moving back a little bit to some of these like differences of expectations around leadership styles, how much do you think that women leaders should or even need to, which is a slightly different way of answering it, mold their leadership style, knowing some of the gender biases that exist and the attributes that they'll be judged for. There are people who are inherently great communicators. There's some that aren't, whether a man or a woman. And so I'm curious if I know that women are expected to be this trait, how much do we need to lean into that or try to change to fit those expectations. Right. So I want to first say that this wasn't something that was in the report. So I'm going to give you my perspective or thinking on this. I think it goes without saying that as women, as we rise to the top, we absolutely need to dismantle these systematic biases that exist and not just conform because otherwise we don't leave a good path for those that follow us, right? This whispering that I talked about, Mm. code switching. We need to create an environment that doesn't happen anymore so that women can come to the workforce and just be productive, be influential, Mm. be able to deliver business results. And it really shouldn't matter if you're a woman or man. So I would say be brave and you get more of that permission as you move up, of course. And so it's incumbent on those of us that are more senior than others to really change the situation, Mm. drive more structure in some of the ways that we were talking about so that you don't have to be inauthentic. Now that it's being a little bit more visible, we have a little bit more permission than we might have had. And so while some of the solutions, Carolyn, are systematic, I think some of it is incumbent upon us as women to be more bold. The burden of trying to code switch will really get in the way of driving those outcomes. If you're spending all of this energy, and it does require a lot of energy to try and code switch, hopefully some of the changes that we're seeing allows for people to show up with their true authentic selves and recognize that leadership comes in many different forms. I'm a big believer in like spending more time on doubling down on like the things that are your strength. I'm obviously a big proponent and part of why we started Chief was for people to continue to learn and grow and become great leaders. But I also think that some of that is just like recognizing where your weaknesses are and like allowing them to exist and leaning even more into your strengths and figuring out how to like find the people around you that can help supplement on the weaknesses. So Exactly. I mean, it's counterintuitive, but I think being able to be a little vulnerable at times just makes you more real. And I think that's important. I think it's very encouraging for the women that are around you to see that because it it gives them that permission. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a group of leaders and we were all going around of like, what do you think is some of the most important things in a leader? And a man said like, vulnerability is like a huge part of like being a great leader. And there was a woman who was a part of the conversation who was like, yeah, it's a lot easier for a man to be vulnerable. Like we just strive for authenticity because <laughs> <laughs> vulnerability is still not accessible for us fully. <laughs> so it's it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So one of the other biases that came up in the report is that 
only 41% of male managers believe that women with children are just as dedicated as women without. And I think this is a really important, important piece to talk about. What is your perception of like why this bias still persists? And is there anything we can do about it? So I think this is one of the most deplorable findings of this study, seriously, because said another way, it says that six out of 10 male managers believe that women who have children are not as dedicated. And that's so far from the truth. I mean, it's really hard to understand this, Carolyn, given that there's so much visibility to the inequity in caregiving responsibilities that fall on women and men. Yes. But having said that, (laughs) when we launched the second of our studies in 2021, this is when most of the world was coming out of the COVID-19 lockdowns. And there was a lot of mental, physical, and emotional load that the pandemic put on us. And it prompted women to really reflect on their careers. And it contributed to the departure of a lot of professional women. We call that period of time the great resignation. And to stay competitive, organizations responded by adjusting work practices, like flexible work hours or provided relaunch programs for mothers, women who were returning back from extended leaves. And even in 2023, the survey respondents still ranked the pandemic as the most serious disruption facing women at work even more so than the real economic impact of the impending recession. Mm. And so it's very telling that the women in the survey said that they would take a 10% salary cut if they were offered advantages like better daycare Mm. or care facilities for their children or flexible work hours. And by no means are we advocating that women should take a pay cut, but it does show how important of a topic this is for women. And so I think all of these factors factor into the perceptions about parents and especially about mothers and the biases and doubts about our ability to handle two jobs at once, you know, Mm -hmm. without compromising one or the other. And I would say, at least for me, it's a real, I think, privilege that I can see women where I work at IBM that are senior to me, that are mothers, that are just as strong, just as productive, just as results-oriented, just as analytical and ethical as the men leaders that I have. And being able to see that is really important, which is why it's so important to move women up so we see role models. And I'm fortunate to have a husband who shares the caregiving responsibilities with me, which of course always helps. Yeah, of course. I do think that there's such a importance of needing to see it to be it. But it's also like once you have those women in certain roles of leadership, the ability for them to help to drive some of those policy changes or practices within the company that like does allow for the type of role definition that we were talking about before that allows for people to still to not have to make a complete trade-off of work versus family. Exactly. I don't know that balance is fully possible at all times, but you know, <laughs> we can keep trying. The other piece that I think was interesting in this study is that the pipeline of future women leaders has actually really hollowed out and that there was a significant drop in the percentage of women serving in positions from kind of senior professional to senior VP. And 
it's kind of what we were talking about as being like the messy middle. So can you first define what the study really refers to as the messy middle and what do you think is causing some of this? Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the messy middle per se, maybe it's important to understand the pipeline in general and what we call the optimism paradox. So Mm. this confidence that change is imminent Mm. has fueled, I think, one of the most curious findings for 2023. Mm. The study respondents told us that gender equity felt closer than it ever has been. In fact, respondents said that they expect that it might take only a decade to see equal numbers of men and women in leadership roles in their industry compared to 54 years, just four years ago. Basically, four years ago in 2019, we did our first women in leadership study. And we found that there were many organizations trying to close this persistent gender gap, but the progress had stalled. And so we asked respondents at the time, how many years do you think it would take before your organizations would have an equal number of women and men in leadership roles? And Carolyn, they said it would take their organizations 54 years. Okay, so Mm -hmm. over half a century to Mm -hmm. get to a point of gender equity. And while things have improved since then, the big question that we're trying to answer, which is perception does outpace the pipeline. And we do need to be creative and bold about ways to change that. Even then, perception is outpacing reality because I think a lot of the research, when you actually look at it, it's a lot longer than 54 years that a lot of research is saying this is how long it's going to take to actually get there. Definitely interesting thing that that perception has gotten even smaller in this study, but even in the 54 years, I think there was still a outpace of perception versus reality. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I'm a half glass full kind of lady. You know, I love the optimism, but the optimism here, the paradox we're seeing, it's dangerous, right? Because when you think things are going well and they really aren't, then you Mm. don't take the right set of actions quick enough to address it. And it just gets worse. And so it actually can be quite dangerous. Yeah. Now, the messy middle. There are just not enough women, Carolyn, that are moving up the pipeline. So think Mm -hmm. director, think VP, think even senior manager type roles. There's just not enough of them. And so this cliche that the glass ceiling, it just really isn't just a C-suite phenomenon, right? It Mm -hmm. starts much earlier with the first opportunities for promotion to senior leadership roles. This messy middle, unless we take action and we take it quickly, we'll never reach parity. In fact, this middle is, the gap is growing Mm -hmm. despite the optimism, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why if it's growing, it's never going to reach parity. And that's why these actions, the systematic actions we talked about and doing them quickly, are they're really important. Yeah, for sure. So from 2019 to 2023, the perception of how long it's going to take moved from 54 years to 10 years, even though in this messy middle, it's actually gotten worse. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's gotten worse. We will never get to parity unless we do something different. Yeah. You don't find that level of optimism in too many places these days, but apparently there's a misaligned optimism happening right now for gender equity, for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think a lot of it also is because the pandemic did shed a light. Let's be real. It did shed a light 
on the challenges that women face. And so you got a lot more media coverage. Mm -hmm. You had a lot more companies say, oh, wow, to be competitive, we're going to need to offer some of these programs like flexible work hours or Mm -hmm. better care facilities. And in fact, both women and men in the survey believe that women have an equal shot at reaching the highest levels of leadership. So all of this contributed to that optimism that we see. Mm -hmm. But that's why I started by saying it's dangerous because unless we realize that we have this messy middle, that the gap is growing, that it's actually not going to be a decade. It's going to be in aggregate more like three decades Mm -hmm. before we get to parity. But that middle, we're never going to get there unless we act quickly. And so we've got to acknowledge that. And I think that like 2023 as a year, if you just think about everything that's happening with the recession and organizations are just focusing on very different things than they were in 2020 and 2021. And even just the number of companies where like big cuts are happening in their DEI function and all of those things, like it actually could produce an even bigger gap as some of the outcomes of 2023 are being played out. Absolutely, because there are other things that are rising to the top, right? In terms of priority. So yes, agreed. For sure. So the name of this podcast is The New Rules of Business. So if you could write a rule for organizations that would help change the dialogue around gender what would you want that new rule to be? Am I allowed to give two? Yes. There are no okay. rules here. Despite the new rules of business, we do not have rules on the way we answer our questions. All right. So I will give two. The first is that I would say organizations need to treat gender equity in the same way that they do any other business priority. Our research confirmed that it's, like you said, not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. And when we have more women in leadership roles, when companies take this more seriously, they see better performance. And the other way to say it is that if you're not paying attention to it, you're leaving money on the table. And honestly, the boards of directors should not tolerate that. Hmm. So make it a business priority like you would for any others. And then the second thing I would say, since you've been so kind to give me two, is that (laughs) this isn't just a women's issue. And men aren't just the problem. It's Mm -hmm. an organizational issue. And one of the co-authors of this study and a friend of mine, Paul Pappas, who runs the Americas for our consulting business in IBM, he said that if 80% of the people making decisions are men, then we need to engage them in the dialogue. Mm. And so I hope that many of your listeners are men, because just by listening to this, they're Mm -hmm. saying they want to be part of the dialogue. They want to be part of the solution. So I would say, engage your men Mm -hmm. in the answers. Don't just make this a problem for women to solve. Yeah. I love that. Especially in 2023, where there are so many other business priorities that are out there, your rules resonate even more poignantly in the context of where we find ourselves today. Thank you for bringing us in and partnering with us as you did the study this year. It was incredibly inspiring to be able to do this work with all of you and excited about that partnership. And thank you for making the time to come and talk about it here on the podcast. I appreciate it. And like I said, I think having Chief with us this time has made the results and the insights just so much more rich because of the access to women all over the world. So thank you. 
That was Salima Lin. She is a chief member and co-author on Chief in IBM Study, Women in Leadership. It is fascinating to still be learning all the ripple effects that the pandemic caused. And it makes sense that people are more optimistic about gender parity since there's so much more noise around women's needs since it has become so untenable for working moms in 2020. But somehow, this awareness has actually created an inaccurate optimism that has a really big risk of causing inertia. Right. As Salima said, it can be dangerous to hear the noise and be satisfied, especially when you look at the data and realize how much more action is needed to move that needle forward. Well, the good news is that more companies and leaders are looking at objective criteria to advance people based on skills and not presence, which is especially crucial for women's advancement. But it is really hard to execute perfectly. Right. Because we are all products of a patriarchal society with inherent bias and beliefs on what or who makes a good leader without even being fully cognizant of these biases. I mean, just look at our survey. Our respondents wanted very different qualities from their leaders based on gender. And it's clear we ask a lot from our women leaders, including solving for the problem of getting more women to the top. Yeah, do your job and then figure out how to solve the patriarchy. It's so easy, (laughs) right? Perhaps it's time not to expect less, but expect just as much from all of the men. And I think that is a perfect way for us to end this episode of the New Rules of Business by Chief. Don't miss out on all of our Chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following the New Rules of Business on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to learn more about Chief, head to chief.com. Chief is the most powerful community for senior executive women designed to create meaningful connections with fellow executive leaders that'll unlock transformative outcomes for your career. Thanks to Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, and Mesa Melton at Chief, and to our entire production team, Pod People. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks again for listening. So, Linz. Yeah. What do you think of those top attributes for women leaders? You think you nail them? I mean, I would say, and many would say, that I am strategic, (laughs) I'm bold, everybody knows I'm this great visionary. Where's that survey? I haven't seen that survey of 100 participants believe Lindsay Kaplan to be strategic, bold, visionary. Follow me on LinkedIn for all my inspiration. And I would say, Carolyn, you are oozing empathy. Right now, I definitely am, can't you tell? (laughs) Is sarcasm on the list? Nailed it. <laughs>